This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, October 29th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. Are institutions that are too big to fail simply too big? And what could prevent them from getting that big except a withdrawal of any kind of government bailout guarantee? And is removing that guarantee even feasible? Jerry O'Driscoll, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, was a vice president at both the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas and Citigroup. We spoke yesterday. If an institution is so large that the federal government and administration has to give it taxpayer support, I maintain this means it's too big because an institution should not be able to fall back on the taxpayer. And if it's too big because it's too, the phrase is used, systemically important, it can affect too many other institutions if it fails, then it's, it should not have gotten to be that big. Now, the fact of the matter is that institutions that are growing very large and very complex and fall into this category of about 20 financial firms that are deemed to be too big to fail, they grow to that size precisely in order to be able to draw on the support of the government, which is ultimately the taxpayer. And so we have to look at the reasons and the policies that lead to that. But as I think about uh, banks and how the Fed and Treasury and others acted in the wake of the financial crisis, a lot of the problem has had to do with the character of assets held by institutions, even those that were not as large as these giants. These giants. It had more to do with, like I said, the character of the assets rather than the systemic importance of the institution itself, right? Yes, they go together, though. Um, the large institutions that are deemed to be uh, worthy of government support um, then will take on more risk. And one way to take on more risk is to uh, invest heavily in these complex, risky assets. They're so complex that it's difficult to figure out what the risks are. Um, There was a great moment in this in the middle of 2007 after uh, this, uh, these problems really just first began to hit, and Citibank got dragged in very early. Robert Rubin, the former Treasury Secretary and the former head of Goldman Sachs, was vice chairman of Citibank, so he was sort of deputized to find out what was going on, and he, he asked someone to explain how these assets worked. And when the person finished explaining it, Rubin said, can you repeat that? explanation. Now, Robert Rubin couldn't understand what these assets were, and he had spent his life in the industry. Uh, Member of the uh, board of directors, vice chairman. Uh, This means that even the management of these companies couldn't understand what had been booked. This suggests that these institutions are not only too large, not only too complex, they can't be managed. They can't be managed. They can't be regulated. Well, tell that to Barney Frank. And uh, Barney Frank has said a lot of things that I think a lot of economists would find very strange in the past couple of years. One is that he has pushed for a systemic risk regulator, as if we uh, can know what that really looks like in, in real time. What is he calling for right now? Barney Frank is trying to somewhat rewrite the regulatory playbook without changing the basic plot Move, changing a few characters and altering a few scenes, but it's the same basic playbook, and it's a failure. It's a flop. The idea that you, the government can support institutions, allow them to go, encourage them, enable them, enables the best word, to become very large, very complex, difficult to manage, impossible to regulate, and then somehow by some little twist or, or tweak 
now the regulators are going to be able to do what they conspicuously failed to do. Aside from the complexity and the difficulty of the regulators looking inside and seeing what's going on in these institutions, which again, even some of the senior managers within inside the institutions apparently weren't understanding what was going on. But for an outsider, it's much more difficult. Aside from the difficulty, the technical problem, there's the political problem of which Barney Frank is a big part. And that is that if you were going to restrain risk-taking in these institutions, it had to be during the boom, the expansion. It had to be during 2004, 2005, 2006, not after the problems already were on the books of the institutions. Can you imagine what would have happened to a hapless regulator that called up, uh, one, pick an institution at random, not even far from the worst, J.P. Morgan, maybe one of the better, and said, you know, you guys are getting too risky. You're lending too much to the housing industry. you got to stop. As soon as the regulator hung the phone up, his phone would be ringing from Barney Frank and Chris Dodd telling him, you can't do this. If I understand uh, his effort correctly, he wants to, in some sense, gate in institutions that have a specific size and have, as you put it, systemic value. Well put. Gate in. And in the process of gating in, what you're actually doing is saying the federal government now institutionalizes the, this practice and implicitly names, by statute now, you're naming the institutions that are too big to fail. Well, let's think back. We had two institutions that fit this very well. They were Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They were gated in. They had a special status. We used to say they had the implicit guarantee of the federal government. We now know they had the explicit guarantee and there were two of them, and they created a disaster. And they and now what you're, you're proposing is we're going to gate in 20. So you're creating 20 what are called GSEs, government-sponsored enterprises. You're just going to turn Citibank and all of the others. Uh, I'm not trying to pick on an institution, but just give an example. Uh, and you're going to say, these are the new Fannie Mae and Freddie Macs. Well, again, to use my playbook analogy, we've seen this play, and we know how it ends. Now, just to be clear... We're talking about taking institutions that did not specifically have a special relationship with the government and giving them a special relationship. Exactly. What's the alternative? Ah, the alternative is free market, free market and financial services. The alternative would be to end all the government support for a specific kind of financial institutions. Um, too big to fail is what we've been focused on, and right now it's the most pernicious. But there are many other forms of government support, of which the most uh, generic for all banks is deposit insurance, and uh, enables these institutions to acquire funds with a government guarantee and hence be riskier than they would have been. Uh, before the government started the whole plethora of these um, support programs, of which deposit insurance was the first coming in in the 1930s, Banks used to have capital ratios of 15, 20, and 25% as a cushion against losses and as a way of telling people who were going to deposit money in their bank that they were safe. Now, what was characteristic of those kinds of institutions? Well, the characteristic of those kinds of institutions was that they were better capitalized and they took on fewer risks. Banks used to be partnerships. Many banks that's were partnerships. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm getting at. Many banks were partnerships. J.P. Morgan was a partnership 
uh, now J.P. Morgan's a security firm, but J.P. Morgan was a partnership until after World War II. Uh, Brown Brothers Harriman is the last remaining commercial bank that's still a partnership. It's grandfathered and it's allowed to be a partnership. Now, when you're a partnership, you restrain risk because you and your other partners are the ones who are going to lose money. And if the partnership comes up short, you're the ones that are going to, there's called a draw where the partners have to put more money into the firm. That's a powerful break on risk-taking. What about capital requirements as an alternative to what Barney Frank would like to do? The problem we have now is you, you're trying to do through statute and regulation what the market used to impose on these institutions, that in order to operate without government support, you have to have more capital ratios. So, uh, yes, within the existing framework of regulation, capital ratios should be much higher. Uh, I favor scrapping the Basel regulations because they simply were a mechanism for that allowed banks to game the system. The Basel regulations are very complex, and when you have very complex regulations, sophisticated institutions game the regulations. And so you had firms ending up with much lower capital ratios against assets. The securitization is a great example. The, the banks would originate something, say a mortgage, that would have required a certain capital uh, be held against it. When they securitized it and sold off, no capital had to be hold, held against it. And yet the underlying mortgage asset, as we now know, was just as risky as it had been before. Capital requirements themselves, uh, when set by government or by Basel uh, yes. agreements, they're price controls on credit. No, no. They're an attempt to mimic what the market would require if the government w weren't involved. What you have to understand about um, the regulation of financial services is that the regulations create the problems, and so then you put on new regulations to offset the deleterious effects of the previous regulation. The market would set, set loosely, that's a loose use of the word set, would require that institutions hold capital because capital is a protection against future losses so that people are willing to deal with the institution and deposit their money because the bank has a cushion against losses. When you have the government come in and start to support banks and, and then regulate them, now the government has got to set the capital ratios. Uh, and so the government is trying to mimic what the markets would do. I'm saying, let's go back. If, if we're not going to abolish the whole regulatory system, let's go back and try to mimic what the markets were requiring. We actually have, we can do a back-of-the-envelope calculation. Uh, and The Economist magazine has done this, and I see that Greenspan is come up with the same number. And that is, if you look at the major institutions and you ask what capital ratios should they have had ex ante before this all occurred that would have kept gotten them through all this, their capital ratios of like 12 to 15 percent instead of 6 to 8 percent. So we need to double the capital ratio. How does that not end up being a price control on, on credit for the extension of it through financial institutions? Well, it restrains, yeah, it does mean that the institutions can't leverage as much as they'd like. But, but by manipulating capital ratios in, from, a, from a government perspective, aren't you trying to regulate the extension of credit? Look, it's a, it's a second best. You're saying you're trying to get to what a free market would do. All price controls are a second right. best. It's a second, you're right. Yeah, I'd much rather have a free market in financial services. That's what I said a couple of minutes ago. Right. 
But uh, between now and then, uh, we have to deal with the institutions as they are. And the one thing we can do that would be very constructive is to have higher capital ratios. Jerry O'Driscoll is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and was a vice president at both the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas and Citigroup. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.